welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. There's that creepy science we love. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa in Iowa City, Iowa. <laughs> I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> We're really bringing, bringing our broadcaster voices this episode. So today, Jacob is going to bring us something interesting we can only hope in popping culture. Then in the academic deep dive segment, we're going to discuss an academic article titled Negligible Evidence That People Desire Partners Who Uniquely Fit Their Ideals. And then in Good or Bad Advice, we are going to go back to the old social media and discuss advice from Instagram and the one and only TikTok. If you have any advice you'd like us to talk about, send it in. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us at attachedpodcast, or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message there. Also, we are now on YouTube. What? What? I know. So smash that YouTube subscribe button. <laughs> And follow us there for video versions of each of our podcast episodes from season two. How very, very exciting. But before we get to our wonderful episode, with all of this knowledge we're about to drop, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm just kind of a little disappointed. Oh, okay. I mean, at the end of season one, you are saying that I was going to bring something fantastic or something exceptional uh -huh. about pop and culture, and uh -huh. now it's just maybe interesting yeah. i feel uh, like you lowered the standards for like a long like any long-term relationship we're just settling in we're just settling you know i mean i was really trying to encourage you there for a while you know passive aggressively but this is where we are now jacob this is where we are <laughs> oh long-term commitment thing we've got going is it's, it's gonna go through Ooh, and i'm just down. i'm just here to um, watch apparently which feels like a real comfortable <laughs> position to be in yeah we're gonna triangulate the hell out of you sarah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so if you remember from the last episode i talked about the enneagram and i don't remember but i don't think my enneagram told me that i was very organized mm. because as i mentioned before we started recording I forgot to tell my lovely wife that we were recording this morning, oh so gosh. I'm on baby duty. So if you Yay. hear any sweet coos or cries in the background, just know that is my little dude. He's almost asleep, but he's kind of loving the sound of your voices. So Aww, we don't blame him to sleep. Makes but sense. if I have to mute myself and I disappear for a second on the YouTube video, that's where I'm going. Jacob, so you could just the ultimate multitasking papa over here. Or Be just the really unorganized lack of communication listen, listen. pop over here. However you want to reframe it. However you want to reframe it. <laughs> I, I hope reframe. your I hope your son rates and reviews us though on Apple Podcasts. Um, he's enjoying he, it. He's so much. definitely gonna smash the YouTube subscribe button because that's about all the uh, <laughs> the ability. The motor skills he has right now. Yeah. That's funny. But other than that, we're doing good. You know. Nice. Can't complain. Surviving. Said, like seven hours a night. I'll take it. Oh my gosh. Do it. Take it. I love it. Fantastic. A dream child. 
Woods. I mean, it, and he's very, very handsome too. So yes, he's oh. a dream guy. <laughs> wow, okay. nice. You like your baby? That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> he's the cutest baby I've ever met. I mean, I'm just saying. Ah, Woods. I have been discovering through my child a game called Animal Crossing. <gasps> yeah, heard of this? Oh yeah, I had not, but somehow <laughs> she had, and I'm not. We've been locked down for most of 2020, so I don't know how she <laughs> even learned about it. But my brother very kindly sent it to her as a gift because it's a, it's like a, it's a physical game. It's meant. This is, it's and this is how game, right? this is how far I have to learn. It's a video game, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was shipped to our house to put into the the machine. It sounds like I sound like the my Nintendo? mom. Nintendo got yes, the Nintendo, and and complete uh, with motions of clearly like the nineteen nineties <laughs> Nintendo yes. player, or like the cartridge the through Boy? the top, <laughs> yeah, or the oh game. Oh my gosh. I, it does it. It's like a little SD card now. I, I don't oh. know. I don't. I didn't even put it in. She did. I've been watching her play as she's learned it the last few days, and I know no more. Okay. Than I Opposite. just described to you. I know no more. <laughs> I just described to you. She appears to just be wandering around this small grassy area, and. Uh, occasionally she takes a net out and she tries to like catch a bug and then she brings the bug to like an owl and the owl talks about how he hates bugs but he'll take it for his museum i was like what but what's happening and at one point this character walked up to her and i was like oh careful are you gonna have to punch him because <laughs> I really did not, I don't know what we're doing here. And yeah. My, right. And my, my brother's girlfriend was like, oh, this is rated E for everyone. There's no, there's no, there's no punching. violence in this. I was like, well, then what are we, what are we doing? If the goal is to clean up your island, why don't we just turn this off and go clean up your room? I don't, but she is loving it. Like, oh, well, loving wandering around and so that's what we've been up to the last few days i am trying so hard to like get engaged enough take an interest in what my child is interested in i am struggling so hard i give it two uh, weeks in two weeks you're gonna be like well i started my own island right. let me tell you what it's named and now i've done all this and i'm gonna be like whoa right. sarah we just just the roll. in support of my child yeah. yes i understand in my yeah. child i stayed up till 4 a.m cleaning up my right. island that's funny so this weekend and last weekend so you know how, like, during the pandemic, like, all of God's children, like, started cooking and, like, yes. sourdough and, like, and you guys know that I adore cooking. But for whatever reason, during the pandemic, I, during lockdown, I was not interested in it at all. Like, I stopped all of that. I think I almost hmm. killed my sourdough starter. Could have been some, oh, no. of some like, not like, not like a purpose just because I wasn't using it. Like I didn't mm. like drown it or something. Like, I don't know what you're thinking, but anyway, maybe not that violent. Anyway, sorry. You know, I mean. Everybody not- wants to punch something or be violent yeah, on today's podcast. And month nine of quarantine 2020, <laughs> the podcasters turned um, to violence. You know, like one of the symptoms of, of depression is no longer enjoying mm. the things you used to enjoy. Maybe, maybe there may be some of that going mm. on. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in some good news, the past two weekends, I have started cooking again. So I've seen exciting. that on the Instagram. I've yeah. seen it. It's looking pretty. It, thank you. I have, and I've been enjoying it for the most part. I made some ricotta cheese last weekend. And then this oh. weekend, I saw, do you guys know that there's a thing called ricotta gnocchi? Like usually it's potato gnocchi, but ricotta gnocchi. Did not know until I saw it on your Instagram. I was like, ooh, yeah. it looks scrumptious. I I have some being delivered today because I saw it on really? Instagram. Yeah, I didn't make it. 
But you inspired me to eat some. <laughs> Yay! I had never had ricotta gnocchi before. I made it. It was a lot easier than the mm. potato stuff to make. It was so good. It's a lot lighter than the potato gnocchi. It was really, really good. And I was happy. I might be back in the groove of enjoying the things I usually enjoy. So I'm so glad. You know, there's a little bit of a sunshine poking through. Hope. Yeah, hope. I like it. I'm, I'm laughing, I promise. <laughs> Anyway, oh, poor Patricia. I'm fine. I'm fine. Shake it off. It's fine. I stay out too late. <laughs> Shake it off. Yeah, that's, that's what I Yeah, that's Taylor Swift. And I know it's Taylor Swift, but I could not tell you any of the lyrics. First up, popping culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and family. But a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. For this first segment, we take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. So Jacob, what you got for us this week? Oh, it is going to be amazing. I think <laughs> this is the week that, where I actually that you bar high. On, on reality television. Okay. So I mentioned this a little bit in last week's episode or a couple weeks ago episode, but the reality television series Baywatch, not Baywatch with like Daniel Hasselhoff, what's ever his name, <laughs> running down the beach, but Baywatch as in B-A-E, as in my bay, uh-huh. watch. So okay. let me tell you the premise. First of all, if you didn't know, bay actually stands for before anyone else. I didn't know that. This show, it taught me that. Yeah. So glad. Welcome welcome to pop culture. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Did you know that? You didn't know that. Me? Yeah, I didn't know that. Not me. No, that's it. The the video game went into the machine. (laughs) Nintendo style. Old school Nintendo style. where we're at. (laughs) Um, So this is a British reality television series that you can stream on Netflix. And let me tell you about the premise. Do. So what it is, is these couples who are kind of newly together, who haven't really met one partner or both partners' families, they get whisked away to this weekend retreat in this villa. But unbeknownst oh, to them, unbeknownst oh. to them, at the villa adjacent, members of their family are staying, and they can see everything that the couple does. Oh. So for these one or two nights, I don't remember exactly how long it is, they're watching these two people interact. So uh, both families are together? No. So what happens is typically you get like one partner's family's there first, and they stay for a little while. And then a friend or another family member shows up from the other partner, and they meet and they talk. And then they watch for a little while. And then everybody at the end, like the reveal happens and the couple realize they've been watched. Hence, they watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's clever. That's the big reveal. Then they kind of have this whole family meeting. Okay. Anyway, there's a couple of things I think that this illustrates really well. All right. So first of all, anytime you form a new attachment relationship, it automatically becomes a part of the triangle, right? It automatically becomes, you know, you already have existing attachment relationships with your parents, caregivers, siblings, other people. And when you form a new attachment with a romantic partner, you're automatically in that triangle. And what I really appreciate about the show is it makes that triangle explicit. It's saying like, even though I haven't met this person, they're still affecting my relationship and I still have opinions, 
ideas, thoughts about what this relationship would look like. So it makes that pattern, which we often don't think about when we're starting relationships, how bringing in this new relationship is going to change or alter current relationships we have very explicit. They do it in a really bad way, right? You probably shouldn't be spying on people that you're close to, to learn about their relationships. So I like that they make that triangulation process pretty explicit. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is really good about this show is they actually have the family members come up with a whole bunch of questions that the producers ask each partner individually. And then they typically have them do some sort of game where family members, again, write all these questions out and, you know, each partner draws a question out and they have to talk to each other about it. Now, I really like that because I think that intentionality in relationships, especially new attachment relationships, is really good. You know, John Gottman's done research on the importance of knowing your partner's love map or what's going on in their world. And there's also a really cool old psych study that has like the 33 questions to make anybody fall in love. Have you ever read that or heard about that? I have. Right up in the New York Times. And and the New York Times, I think, also did a YouTube series about about that. That That was pretty good. So, I mean, I think we have pretty good evidence to know that those, that asking those types of questions can be a really great way to kind of facilitate that intimacy. And I also think it's really interesting that they're having the friends or family members ask those questions. But I think, again, they need to take out for a healthy relationship, you know, not reality television, (laughs) take out the, uh, I'm watching you, I'm going to watch your every move for a couple of days and really have those other people that you are in attachment relationships with, like ask the new partner questions. I think being straightforward, asking those questions is a really great way to navigate the new triangle that's being formed, right? If you want to not bind anxiety in a triangle, what you need is to have one-to-one peer-to-peer relationships. And so, especially in adults who are forming romantic relationships, I think a good way to do that is by when you know you're going to be in an established relationship with a romantic partner, introducing them to those other important people and let them build a relationship one-on-one with each other. It's not always going to work out perfectly, but it's the best way, I think, to avoid a pretty, a development of a negative triangle that could occur. And I mean, that is a common source of anxiety in new relationships is meeting the parents, right? So this kind of, the idea that having the just the knowledge and the mindfulness that you're already part of a triangle, even if you haven't technically met those, those parents and meeting the parents is, is just kind of like icing on the cake because you're already in, in the triangle itself. Also meeting the parents could be an interesting good or bad advice segment for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think too, like what I really like is I just don't think that there has been enough research or enough thinking around triangles in relationship. It's like something that the beginning of family therapy, we talked about a lot and it seems like it's kind of faded off into the background a little bit. So that's my other soapbox is like, think about the triangles in your life because they're an important system in your relationships that occur all the time, often without us thinking about it. So triangles, important. Baywatch, Definitely recommend. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and I thought you were going to go with important. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, not Definitely recommend, level. worth okay. the watch. A lot of fun. You may need some wine while you're watching it because it gets pretty crazy. Do it. Yeah. Wine it up. Or, or it. milk or whatever, whatever your evening beverage of choice is. <laughs> Do people drink milk in the evening besides my child? 
people like, I'm just imagining like people who watch reality television like like a warm glass of milk. I have milk. I was just thinking about those SNL sketches with Mitt Romney and how he was oh, drinking I a nice glass them. of milk in the evening. <laughs> Throw it in the bushes to hide it. Oh, I love it. Uh, good, good pop culture reference, Patricia. Good pop culture reference. I do love some And SNL. one I could participate in. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't Yay. always happen. Oh. I mean, it was a solid 15 years old, so. So I have a good memory is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not. Exactly. Maybe just eight. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Time is a flat circle. Now we're going to move on to the academic deep dive segment and talk about an article titled Negligible Evidence That People Desire Partners Who Uniquely Fit Their Ideals, written by Jahan Sparks at Social Cognition Center Cologne in Germany and her colleagues Christine Daly, Brian Wilkie, and doctors Daniel Molden, Eli Finkel, and Paul Eastwick. Published in September's issue of Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, these authors tested the idea behind whether we choose partners based on our specific preferences in a partner. Now, this is an idea behind every advertisement you see for a science-backed dating app. If you load in all your partner preferences, they can help you find the exact match. If you think about how you might answer the question, what's your ideal partner? you could probably come a, a pretty specific, uh, detailed answer to that. I prefer someone who's funny and ambitious, really knows what they want, tall, and a really good listener. Might be an example of, of your list. It also might be my exact list. What? Oh, I thought you were just describing me. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> Wait, not tall, not really good listener. <laughs> my I wife just, tells me I, I have a literally good sense of evidenced. humor. Oh, that's good. A uh, good sense of humor, but I'm not funny, so. <laughs> oh, you enjoy humor. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> good feedback. Yeah, that's good feedback. Good feedback. <laughs> but actually, it's pretty unclear in relationship science, the science, mind you, whether these preferences we describe, you know, describe at the at the onset, end up actually predicting who we're romantically interested in. So those preferences that we always talk about, do they actually predict who we end up with? So Sarah, help us understand a bit more what these authors did to test whether what we look for in a partner or what we say we look for in a partner actually matters. Yeah, so this is a really cool pair of studies, actually. This paper has two different studies to test this question about does my ideal preferences in a partner affect my likelihood of choosing or preferring a person to become my partner? So this is really about mate preferences, mate uh, selection, not mate evaluation of somebody that I already right. have, which is, I think, an important distinction that we'll come back around to. The first study was a blind date study, which I think sounds so fun as an experiment to run. It must have been so fun to write the IRB, the um, oh my gosh. ethics. Yeah, the ethics of it. I could see how yeah. it'd be fun to run. Being a participant would be wildly anxiety-inducing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're only hour-long dates, but it would still be oh, such an interesting... I mean, they literally signed up or to do a blind date for science is what they describe it as. For and science. For science, which I really feel like is up our, up our alley. So they started with 138 single heterosexual undergrads that they combined into dyads. And they were, again, testing whether my ideal partner attributes are more likely to predict being romantically interested in this blind date 
person versus ideal attributes described by somebody else entirely, somebody else's ideals, which is a really interesting question. So first they had participant list their three most important ideal attributes in a romantic partner, the qualities they would consider when deciding whether to pursue a romantic relationship okay. with somebody. They had over a thousand unique ideals, but they got them wow. down into specific categories, 95 positive attribute categories. I include the word positive because they had to exclude some that were negative, like I'm looking for a smoker, for example, is less so about what I'm maybe searching for in a partner that's positive and going to help answer this research right. question. So they went on a date. It, as I said, it was an hour. They started the lab. They had a few minutes of getting to know each other. They were paid a little bit of money. They could go anywhere for that hour, go get coffee, go get meal on campus. And then they had to return to the lab in a, t in a timely manner to get paid. <laughs> I feel like that would be the part that would stress me out. Oh, there's, there's, I got 60 minutes to get my paycheck for this. This is the only, this is why I'm here. So they matched women to men who were the same race, the same height or shorter, the same year or within a year of the same year or within a year at college. And they were available, obviously, to go on the blind date. Right. They excluded four dyads, and I include this only because I think it's funny, one of which said they didn't spend the date together. <laughs> I mean, this is, the fact they only had one dyad of all these undergrads decide like, well, let's take the cash. <laughs> then after the blind date, they completed some questionnaires where they rated the extent to which this person they went on a blind date with possessed the three ideal attributes that they had listed. Hmm. And they rated their blind date partner on ideal attributes that another participant, a random unknown participant in the study oh. had generated. So they were not just matched to their blind date partner, but they were matched randomly to somebody else of the same sex in the study. And so they could would get a list of their three ideal attributes and say how much they thought their blind date partner reflected those three random other ideals, which is a really cool design to kind of answer this question about whether my ideals uniquely predict who I pick. Right. And so in general, because these are all positive attributes, they're all more likely to, they're all likely to be predictive of my romantic interest in that blind date partner, which was measured with questions like, I really like this person. I'm sexually attracted to this person. An hour, I guess, is all that takes for those things. If I- Sometimes think, less than an hour, please. Right. Yes. yes. No, yes, for sure. They, I mean, they were able to rate these. <laughs> and so the question then is if I think, for example, that being kind is super important, but Jacob, who's a different, oh, not Jacob, uh, Patricia, who's a different participant in yeah. the project, thinks being adventurous is super important. They're both positive traits, right? So I might kind of think both are, are important or might predict whether I'm romantically interested. But if my ideal is uniquely predictive, then my rating this blind date person as being especially kind should be more strongly associated with how romantically interested I am in them. Right. And adventurous is never something I would list, please. <laughs> what they found was that both my own and the other's ideal attributes ratings predicted the romantic interest in their blind date at a similar magnitude. These ratings, this, the mm -hmm. predictive ability didn't differ significantly. So I, in general, we preferred, not we, I was not a participant, the participants preferred these partners to the extent that they perceived them to possess any of these positive attributes, not whether or not they met their ideals. 
So study two, yeah, very interesting. Study two did this with a much larger sample to see if they could find any kind of smaller effects that they hadn't been able to find before. So they they ended up with 598 MTurk participants, which are people who are paid very minimally to participate in research online. These are online surveys. They had these participants list five, they referred to them as targets. <laughs> which I guess you could think of and make preference like, oh, you over there, you are my target. And I'm interested in you for these reasons. <laughs> but they, so they nominated five, five people. They wrote down five people of their preferred sex who they would want to be in a romantic relationship with, who they already knew. And if they had a romantic partner, they were supposed to include them. Then they reported the top three most important traits and the top three most important behavioral tendencies, behaviors that they would want their ideal partner to perform regularly, which I really like. They made that distinction. And then they rated the extent to which these five targets possess these attributes that they reported as ideal, as well as, again, attributes that somebody else said would be an ideal. And so what they found, again, no matter how they sliced and diced it, which is insider speak for statistics, they found that both my own, yes, technical, slicey dicey, and the other, any random other person's ideal attribute ratings predicted my romantic interest in my targets that I listed. And that was true for the trait attributes as well as the behavior attributes. It was true for friends and acquaintances. It was true for current romantic partners. Interesting. It didn't matter how they sliced and diced. This is what they this is what they found. So they did mention that it's unclear whether our preferences are stable over time. These are kind of one mm. moment ratings where I generate my list of um, of what I'm able to say I, I would be attracted to or interested in in my ideal partner. So I might that might change over time. What I might have said. Five years ago, two days ago, it could it could vary. But in general, what I think I prefer is not actually predictive of how much I prefer to be in a relationship with another person. Right. So what I think I I like, these broad characteristics, and, and that I think is important to keep in mind too, like kindness and adventurous. These are very kind of broad things that we don't really know exactly what it is until maybe we see it specifically. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. What we say we prefer in terms of these broad characteristics actually don't predict who we actually end up with, right? Yes. Or yeah. who we like, who we like. Who we, who we, prefer. Who we prefer. Right, yeah, right. Which is not, again, a measure of whether I'm evaluating the partner I currently have, but just what I would prefer. And, and these are the top three. So even if all of these are positive and we all probably prefer like somebody who is kind versus like somebody who's not kind, your top three could be very different than somebody else's Mm -hmm. top three and it still didn't matter. So I think it's possible because it's a study I made preferences and I think this is a lot of how like dating apps set themselves up to be backed by science. Science doesn't seem to necessarily support that if I put in a bunch of my like interests and traits and answer a bunch of questions that you could probably find my ideal mate because if you just picked my ideal from somebody else's ideals, I'm probably also going to be e- equally yeah. as into. Yeah. Maybe just ideals or ideals? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. A social uh, construct think, of ideals that we all kind of share. Kind of well, and they're all they're all positive. And yeah. so maybe it's just important to be thinking about positive attributes in general, uh, not necessarily the specific list that a person must meet in order for me to be 
interested in partnering with them or at least going to get coffee for an hour or not if you're that one dyad who got excluded. But I think it's possible having a more open mind when searching the fields could be helpful. If you have a really strict predetermined list, chances are it's not necessarily actually telling you about who you might partner with. Yeah. So can I... you you both know this. I spend a lot of time on dating websites and dating apps, right? Dating people, th- not just like looking at them, but like <laughs> yes, I did people. go on lots of dates. Okay, okay. Unfortunately, <laughs> outside of the lab, outside yeah, of the lab, yeah. outside of the lab, I was not a part of this study. But in reading this article, what stood out for me is how much it reflects my own experience. Mm. Because after you spend a lot of time on dating (laughs) websites, apps, you create these arbitrary characteristics that you think that in order to have a successful date, they need to to have this set of characteristics. Mm -hmm. And one of mine that actually is really funny, and Chelsea still gives me shit about it, (laughs) was that, you know, oh, I'm just going to screen people out. I only want to look with people that have a graduate degree, right? (laughs) I would do all this stuff, all this stuff, like I was on Tinder, Match.com, all that kind of stuff. Funny thing is, is the first person I went out with from these dating apps that didn't have a graduate degree is my wife. (laughs) So, I mean, it's not the exact idea of the study, but it's like my anecdote of when we do create these, oh, I want these certain positive attributes and they have to possess this or I won't like this person. It's really not really indicative. She had a lot of positive attributes that I was looking for and has since gotten a graduate degree, which is also kind of funny, but you held out. This is good, Jacob. Keep yeah, going. It's, just, it's yeah. being recorded. Yeah. But I really like, you know, I think it's good to, to think about this when you're approaching online dating, because it can be exhausting. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of options that are open up to you. And I think that if you can kind of approach it as I'm looking for somebody that has positive attributes and even take away like, and I'll spend an hour with them to see if I like those or not, mm-hmm. could be really useful in navigating that. But I also think, you know, the key to this study that, and you were talking about this, Sarah, is really, we don't really know what we want sometimes until we actually interact with it, right? What somebody mm-hmm. might put on their profile on their dating app, maybe more indicative of like, or how we judge that, maybe more indicative mm-hmm. of what we think we want than what we actually do want. So I think it's just good to give people a shot. And even if it's only an hour at a time, I think you're probably going to have better luck than creating this arbitrary mm-hmm. list of things this person must have in order for me to go on a date with them. But at the same time, I think that there's a, a rationale behind that, right? It's almost like drinking from a water fountain hose, these, these mm. dating apps. So having something that may seem arbitrary actually is like a protective factor because it protects you from feeling the need to go on a date even if it's an hour long with every single person. So they're, you know, they're, they're positive and negative to these arbitrary lists. You know, it's not just arbitrary, but I think there could be, particularly when it comes to these dating apps, some sort of protective factor. I've talked to a lot of friends, including yourself, Jacob, who, who talk about how exhausting these dating apps are. So um, imagine doing that without any sort of like filter 
at all and just feeling like you're going and dating every single person that comes across your list, I could see how that could also be problematic as well. I think what you're describing, Jacob, too, reminds me of the idea that the whole is more than the sum of its parts, right? If I, as an individual, am creating this list, it's totally different than what you're creating synergistically when you meet somebody that is really hard to describe because it's it's typically pretty organic and, and can evolve and fluctuate. There are people who maybe I didn't think I would be friends with until I was forced to share an office with them as like lab oh, assistants. I, I thought we were going to go talking about this podcast, but yes, a lot of people go, 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 go. That's right. Well, I was referring to Jacob, which he knew. Yeah. I think that is friends, right? That if we've talked about how hard it is to make friend, friends, and if one of my most important criteria is that they are, they prioritize being a mom, and then I end up at this group of moms, I'm who cares? Like if you're, if we have nothing in common or I can't connect with you in an hour, I agree. I'm going to know that pretty quick. It doesn't mean that needs to be a permanent judgment is what I'm saying, but also I agree. How valid are these lists that we create for ourselves? Yeah. Woohoo! Boo! Woohoo! Yeah! Finally time for good or bad advice where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. We hear relationship advice from our parents or family or friends. We see advice about how to be in relationships from movies and TV shows. And we read endless advice spewed at us on social media, blogs, and all those numerous top 10 lists. But a lot of it just isn't actually good for relationships. This is the part of the show where we use science to decide if this advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard some advice that you would like for us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Get at us on all of those social medias at attachedpodcast or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. While you're at it, please like and subscribe and leave a review for our podcast on your favorite podcast app or YouTube and share it with your loved ones, please. Or maybe share it with people you don't like. Listen, we don't discriminate. Like whoever, just share it with people, please. So today we have scoured the social medias just, you know, for this podcast. It's not like we were on them and just like going through TikTok and going through Instagram. Like we did this for you. (laughs) And we found some bits of advice that we're going to deem if it is good or bad. Are you guys ready? Yes, Mm -hmm. let's do it. So this first one comes from... The gram, that's what the kids are calling it. Are they? I need, I need to take notes, obviously. <laughs> this is from Mom and Buried, and this is, they, they put out a gram. What's my marital advice for new wives? Always screenshot proof that you texted your husband about any upcoming plans you guys have. Just trust me on this. We'll use the shit out of those. <laughs> Good or bad advice for new wives or husbands? So- I'm just, I want to talk a little bit about this as this is kind of indicative of, you know, what happened to me this morning. Yeah. And it's something that I try to be cognizant of and I'm trying to do better, but this is indicative of in straight relationships, the dude just not doing the emotional labor. And we've talked about this on this podcast before that this is a burden that is often placed upon women in relationships. And so like, you know, this is, I think kind of, of indicative of this is 
the husband is just expecting the wife to kind of create the mental plans of all these things and just remind him of that. So I think that what I would more like to see is husbands show up, pay attention, make sure you are contributing to the emotional labor, which again, a bad, a bad example of this today, yeah. but trying to be better. <laughs> because I think that that's really how you create equity in a relationship. When husbands can recognize that they are not taking on the emotional labor that is typically just by default or by our socialization given to women, and to try to be better at that and not require their wives to screenshot text messages. So I can see why this could be good advice if okay. you need to hold your husband's feet to the fire and say, hey, step up, take on some of this emotional labor, remember these things. But I think it should be flipped. And really, we should be talking to men in this instance of saying, men, take on some of that emotional labor yeah. and be cognizant of the amount you're, you're making your wife do. So I don't know where I really land on this advice. Would you say you're on the fence? Uh, I'm always on the fence, right? <laughs> but I, I just think that's indicative of a broader yeah. problem that should be discussed in relationships, which I try to own up when I mess that up in mine. Well, good for you. We're, we're very proud of you, um, Pat, <laughs> on the back. Um, but you're oh, saying, so, <laughs> so doing such a great job, good work. So what we're saying is that, or what you're saying is that in general, you agree with the problem, but maybe the, in an ideal world or a less gendered, especially among straight couples world, the solution would come from the the husband and maybe not hear the wife yeah you're basically asking the wife to do more than they've already done right no. you're i'm assuming the wife has made the plans texted the husband about the plans and then having a screenshot to say no look i actually told you yeah and so that just feels a little burdensome to me yeah it's, it does sound exhausting we're saying that it is advice woods ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am definitely going to say this is bad advice from yeah. a few different perspectives. And um, this just is for the purpose of being like angry and vindictive almost, right? That, I mean, it probably is a lot more effective to just say, hey, this is really exhausting for me and I'm really frustrated and let's come up with a better system here that's going to work for us. Because really what I hear is this couple is doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, yeah. and it's getting really super frustrating, which can confirm. And I also have this direction of like, is it more important to be right? Or is it more important to like shift gears? And I think if you are, if your goal is to just now as a new, a new spouse, just start screenshotting proof of everything we've landed on the side of like oh it's more important that i'm right right which, interesting you know once in a while i really i really feel that <laughs> you're gonna see that i absolutely told you about this three different times and but also like it's not really creating any change and it's not helping anybody feel yeah. better yeah i can see from the the perspective of the person seeing the screenshot how that would really shut down communication immediately right so i think in general we're saying bad advice, bad solution of advice to this problem, but the problem is real. Yes. Agreed. Yep. Okay. So next we're going to move to TikTok. And just as a heads up, this one might be a little, a little rough to hear. 
My 20s were a series of mistakes. I probably could have gone to a better school, avoided the all-you-can-eat buffets, but undoubtedly, the biggest mistake in my 20s in my life was listening to my heart. I got married. I was this so-called high-powered lawyer on the outside working at a large firm, but on the inside, in our home, I spent as much time hiding in our closet or tiptoeing across our hardwood floors to avoid setting off a firestorm. My ex could topple my confidence with just a look, and he knew it. Marrying him was the single most costly decision I would ever make, and after my divorce, I spent many agonizing months wondering how my life would have been different had I just ignored my heart. But life is forgiving, and there is some truth to the old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. After everything I had been through with my ex, when I finally came out the other side, I knew that even if I chose to give a man the power to break my heart, no man could ever break me. My 20s were a series of mistakes. So, I mean, she clearly went through a, a, a horrible time, and I'm so glad she came out the other end of it seemingly stronger. But I, I want to kind of take a piece of this about not listening to your heart as kind of like the, the almost the lesson that she gleaned from this experience mm -hmm. and, and talk a little bit about that if we think it's good or bad advice and also kind of this pervasive advice about listening to your heart or lead with your heart mm -hmm. and how listening to your head or logic is sometimes shunned a little bit and and how leading with your heart is idealized or, or not so um what what are your thoughts kind of this good or bad advice about listening or ignoring your heart uh so first like i appreciate that woman sharing her story yeah. and i think it's important to point out that most violent relationships don't start necessarily in a place of violence right they're going to start in a way where there might be gaslighting, where a partner is telling another partner that things that happened didn't exist or their emotions aren't valid. Right. And that those things are going to develop over time. So when, when we talk about listen to your heart, I, I think that sometimes that can be good advice because it's not necessarily that every relationship that turns violence started out that way in the beginning, right? Um, it may have been there had been a good relationship and then things changed and evolved where one partner became more controlling, more right. emotionally manipulative, and that turned into a place where that person could, as she described, bulldoze her confidence, make her feel like she was walking on eggshells. So I don't think that following your heart, because as we were talking about in the previous section here about the academic deep dive, you know, there can that be that synergy, that connection that comes from a place that we would describe maybe as our heart, that can be a valuable source of information in relationships. Yeah. I think also it's important to get good information from people outside of that relationship, right? Oftentimes yeah. when we're listening to our heart, that may blind us to specific things that are going on that could be damaging or bad red flags um, not seeing yeah red and flags. so other people who are important to us may be able to see those so i think it's important to have that conversation with them and also to not only listen to our hearts but listen to our brains as well if something doesn't seem right or seems off or the first time somebody gaslights you you're like that doesn't seem right i think you need to listen to that as well yes so it can be good advice to listen to your heart but not just your heart you need to listen to those other people who you trust and are important to you 
and to your own experience. If somebody is trying to deny an experience you know happened, that is indicative of a relationship that could become violent, could become controlling. And so not only should we listen to our hearts, but our friends, our important other relationships and our brains as well. So good advice, maybe? Good I advice think. and like a, yes. like a, like an improv. Yes. And good advice and listen, listen to your brain. Woods, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I really like Jacob's answer there. I, I think I, it would be hard if you interpreted the reason for getting into a negative relationship as having listened to your heart to not come out of it with the message that I should do that less. Yeah. But I also just want to caveat that a bit with that sounds to me like her taking responsibility for what sounds like an abusive mm, relationship. Yeah. And so while it is quite possible or probable that it is necessary to, I agree, listen with other parts of you as well, your eyes and your ears and your friends and your, your, what logic in your brain is telling you, listening to her heart is not what created that abusive yes. relationship. Mm, yeah. I mean, right. I don't know like that. Ask this relationship, but presuming that description, there's somebody else who probably should be doing some really hard evaluating of their own behavior. Um, and I also think that there are, that being said, there are lots of ways that we can falsely interpret our heart too. I, it made me think of when I talk with patients about the cycle of anxiety, right? That I can be worried about something and my body starts to react, yeah. but then it, it can sometimes go the other direction. My, my body can start to shift and I start to interpret that as there is something I should be worried about. Mm. I, should, I can start to panic or might start to affect how I make decisions, just even physiologically. Although that's not what she's saying, I think she's describing more of kind of this romantic idea and this process of like gut or intuition. Yeah. Um, we falsely interpret that kind of stuff all the time. And so I think that's just kind of linking back more to what Jacob said, but, but she's not, she's not to, that's a really human, very human error to make and not the reason for what she faced. What, it sounds what, like. Yeah. What she experienced. Yes. So this next one, we're going to talk about someone's impression of what a relationship is. <sighs> so stupid. Um, but you're not me, right? Because you being there all the time, I'm forced to see myself through your eyes and see my own patterns and behavior. So I'm just like, I just wanted to check that you're not actually me. Um, okay. 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 You are a projection of me. Okay. All right. No, thank you for telling me. Thank you. Um, I need to sit with that for a second um, and decide what I need to do now. Because that is new. That's new information. I didn't quite realize until this point. Okay. Give me, give me a bit. I'm going to get back to you about what we should do. Okay. So uh, this was uh, a guy saying this is his interpretation of a relationship. I don't really know if it's good or bad advice, but maybe accurate or your thoughts on it. Good or bad advice about what a relationship is. Yeah, like I think that the three key components of any relationship are this desire to be connected and be belonging, but also this piece of individuality or identity that he's talking about that yeah. we get from like make in those interactions. But also underlying that too is this sense of, of fear 
right? Fear of loss, fear of rejection, need for safety would be kind of embedded in that as well. So in some ways, I, you know, if I heard him correctly, he's saying that you are just a projection of mine. Yeah. In, in some ways, I, I think that can be pretty good advice. Like our relationships, we project onto them how we experience ourselves, right? Like our sense of individuality comes by how we experience other people. Yeah. Um, and so does our sense of belonging. And those two things, I think, are always in kind of a push-pull relationship. Healthy relationships, I think, can navigate individuality and belongingness across time and have different levels of it across time. But we do get a sense of identity through the interactions in our most important relationships. And yeah. so in that case, I think it's, it's good advice. Okay, good advice from Jacob. Woods? I mean, I don't know what's happening in that video. My first reaction was, I think he's grossly misunderstood what empathy is. <laughs> we should see, we should really just see each other from our, the other's perspective so much so that, oopsies, I created a fictional version of myself and that's who I'm in a relationship with. That feels like really, really too far. But it also reminds me of this idea in relationship science of inclusion of other and the self and how much like this Venn, Venn diagram, they, they yeah. kind of and represent it as a Venn diagram of, of how much I understand or am, am bonded with and include notions or ideas, commonalities, et cetera, of my partner into what I think of myself. And I think there are lots, there's lots of research that suggests that the more bonded we become, the more that Venn diagram overlaps. So potentially not the worst conceptualization. Right. Of, of relationship. I don't know how I talked myself back around to that because at first <laughs> I was really con concerned about him, but, but all right. <laughs> You're here for it. Yeah. There's also some interesting research about like memory and long-term couples and how there's almost like this shared memory that like one partner remembers these events and the other partner remembers these events. Yeah. So you like a set you, if you don't remember something, you know that your other partner will. So you have this like shared memory bank, almost like a shared mm -hmm. memory. And so when those relationships break apart for, from, from divorce or widowhood, um, it, it emotionally you're losing things, but also cognitively mm -hmm. you're you losing part of your, your memory bank um, yeah. as well. And that always yeah. also kind of made me think about this is we're not just, emotionally or projecting on our relationships, but sometimes in these long-term relationships, like we're also share, like memories are stored together. Like we're, we're almost like yes. a joint one, one memory. Like well. almost like or, a system. What? <laughs> what? It also makes me think about how like emotions can be contagious or even pain. Pain can be contagious. Yeah. I can mm -hmm. observe my partner be in physical pain and feel pain yeah. myself. So yeah, well, I talked myself right around. You loved there. it, didn't you? You loved it. No, I didn't oh, at first, yeah. but it makes sense now. I don't know how. Well, congratulations Science. to this guy. Congratulations <laughs> to this guy. All right. Next, we have something from TikTok. We have listened to him before. This is the real Indian dad. He is responding to or replying to a question saying, how do you politely tell your almost 39-year-old daughter you don't like the color she just dyed her hair. You guys ready? Yes. Ellie, if you don't like the way her hair looks, don't say anything. She won't listen to you. She's almost 39. You must use the art of being subtle. When she touches her hair or she's looking at her in the mirror, just in the back, you make very, very quiet vomit noises. Like, but just 
like it never even happened. And then in her head, she will associate her hair with that. And then she will change the color. Good or bad advice? I'm going to say the first part is good advice. <laughs> like, don't say anything. People have autonomy over their bodies, right? Yes, they do, and if, both men and, and women. And if they want to dye their hair, whatever they want to do, that's, that's, they can do that. And you don't really necessarily get an opinion about that, especially if it's your 39 year old daughter. I'm going to say it's bad advice to make vomit noises in the background because that's just passive aggressive. <laughs> funny, funny, but bad advice. <laughs> okay. So the first half is good advice. The second half is bad advice. Woods. Yes, I, I agree with that. Yes, bad advice. It reminds me of in the office where Jim conditions Dwight to reach for a tic-tac once he's like paired it with the, the noise. Yeah, I, there's no probably polite way to tell somebody you don't like their hair. Nobody ever wants to hear that. Not ever. Not even on Halloween do I want to hear you say that my, wow, that costume, your hair is crazy. I don't I want to hear that. And I would even go so far as to say, even if you're not volunteering it and you've been asked for your opinion, I even would hesitate answering then because have you really been asked for your opinion? <laughs> is that really what the question is? Or are they looking for like confirmation that it's not so bad or I tried something new and I'm afraid, right? So I really would even hesitate there if you get asked that question about how does this look? Is your, what do you think? <laughs> What do you what do you think first? Like, and also, what are you what are you hoping? What are you hoping from me? Really feel that situation out carefully. Yeah, there's uh, no need. Point. Yeah. So good advice on the front, bad advice in the back. Just no like an it. awesome mullet. <laughs> yes. Oh, nice job. Mullet advice. I like the term. Oh, like would you term. tell? Yes. Would you want me to tell you if you had a mullet that you should reconsider? That's a new question for us. <laughs> Last but not least, this is another TikTok video from Sad Boy Lift Club. Um, sometimes the names kind of throw off the advice right from the top, but anyway. And it's um, boy, B-O-I. I just want to point that out. It's Sad Boy. Boy Lift Club. Um, you guys ready? First of all, I'm not dumb enough to say like my physical preference online because then everyone who doesn't like meet that physical preference is going to be like, ah! you think I'm ugly? And then I'm gonna have to deal with. Yeah, I don't want to face that flame. Uh, no smoke, no fire, no water. Just enjoyment. Um, I need a girl who's loyal. I need a girl who's a ride or die. I need a girl with a great sense of humor. I need a girl who's intelligent. I need a girl who's strong enough to stand on her own. I need a girl who's strong enough to support me when, because I'm an only child. I'm needy like that. Like I need someone who's got my back. You hear me? Um, I want to go who's interested in the things that I'm interested in, in the way that like, she wants to watch me succeed. You get me? Like, I want her to help me work towards my goals the way I want to do the same for her. And for those of you like, damn, this guy got so many, uh, uh, requirements on his head. Like, yeah, I do. I know my worth. I hope she knows her worth too. I want to be able to work for my partner the way that she'll work for me. You get me? A lot to unpack there. This kind of made me think of our book club with Dr. Finkel, but before I give too much away of my own opinions. Jacob. Yeah, you don't want to like, <laughs> you don't want to move us in one direction or the other. Like I always go first. So Sarah, when I miss Nobody. something, she can just come and be like, boom. Like, oh! <laughs> so I think, first of all, this shows the importance of why we do good or bad advice, right? Because he kind of said a lot of things there that aren't necessarily supported. So for example, like there's this pervasive idea that only children are weird or needy mm. or 
fundamentally different than children with siblings and evidence does not support that. So like that's probably more indicative of the relationships that you've been in as opposed to like the number of siblings you have, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is not necessarily um, accurate. Yeah. And then also like these lists, like I want to ride or die. I want somebody who's loyal. I'm going to support them. Like they're going to support me um, is unrealistic in the sense that like, you're not going to feel that great about yourself and about your partner all the time across time, right? Mm. Like there's sometimes when you're going to be like, I want to support you, but I'm exhausted and I'm just keeping my head above water. Like, or there's going to be times when you're like, I'll be here for you, but that means I might have to give up some of the stuff I need or want right now. Like, it's not just, oh, we're going to support each other. So we build our dreams and then everything's going to work out great. You're my ride or die. Relationships are way more dynamic than that. And having that expectation that whatever happens, that you're always going to be able to support each other's dreams all the time in the moment in the way that they need it is unrealistic because life happens. And sometimes those dreams change and sometimes those dreams aren't attainable. And sometimes things just don't work out the way as planned. So you also need somebody who can be flexible, who can tell you like, also you maybe should check that that's not working for you or for us in our relationship. So I'm going to say I'm unpacking all of that. Like it's good that we do this section and that's a lot of bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> and also it was reflective of the academic deep dive, right? Like yeah. All of these, this whole entire list of things probably isn't even predictive of the person that he'll end up with. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my reaction. Yeah, bad advice. I'm going to pull in the science from today's academic deep dive to say that it's so lovely that you have goals of partnering with someone who is loyal and funny and intelligent. And I am pretty sure there's not too many people who would say, oh yeah, I definitely don't want somebody who's loyal or smart or right. funny. Like, I don't like those things about people. Like people who are funny. It's just super unique. So I think it's possible though, it sounds like maybe his list has become so rigid that he's gotten a little defensive about his singlehood or something. But I also I was also was thinking, we didn't discuss this earlier in the academic deep dive, but I, I had this piece I was curious about, about I wondered if rather than look for positive ideal traits, if we asked about bottom line traits, yeah, three absolute things that you would never want in a partner, if that might be a more important indicator of who you might pick yeah. if you knew those things early enough and or stay with because those those are can be really powerful and important and again there might be lots of commonalities population at the population level but he feels really kind of needy i think he said a little rude it sounds like he needs an assistant less so than a partner but those feel like some red flags for me about who's who's going to partner with this gentleman and so that that feels like bad, bad advice and bad advice okay so bad advice, the one thing that I did like in this, apart from the accent, which we all know I'm a sucker for accents, is he did keep on repeating that, you know, I want to ride or die like I would be for them. I want a someone who's going to support me in my dreams like I would support them in their dreams. So I did like this idea mm -hmm. of reciprocity. So it wasn't just a what they're going to give to me. The expectation was I want these people to provide this because I'm going to do that to them as well. So it was a little bit more hidden, but that aspect of it, I really, really liked. And I actually would say that that is good advice. Expect or, and look for that reciprocity in relationships. Keenan was talking to, he wanted to add something, but I think oh he's my a goodness. little shy right now. 
Yeah, what a doll. Yeah, you want to say anything? <sighs> yeah. What else? You were talking a whole bunch. I had to put it on mute. Okay. He's a little shy. Yeah, a little mic shy. Adorable. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank everybody and also Keenan for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, or get at us on all those social medias about the relationship advice you've received and that you're wondering to follow or pass on. Cannot wait.